Thank you for the prayers and the encouragements. You know, um, I was feeling a little old till the elders came up and I felt young again. Thank you for the encouragements. And I uh, just want to thank you, uh, Pastor Jen, for the prayer and um, all of that. Uh, you know, I remember, uh, it seems like yesterday, um, uh, when I turned 40, someone surprised me with a cake after service at, uh, uh, at Brea and came out. And I remember someone um, uh, wished me a happy 50th birthday. That was when I was 40. And, um, and then, you know, so, you know, when you turn uh, and you end with a zero, right? Um, and you get different reactions, and uh, sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, you know, you're only, you know, or, you know, it, it, it can go both ways. So, uh, but I, I am grateful and to uh, serve and on this very special day, and, uh, you know, if we could continue to pray um, for the fruit of the gospel here, and also uh, for the Rams today, okay? We got to win one, um, so it'll be a big day for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, afterwards, we'd love to just have a meal uh, with you. We were, Sharon and I were talking about, oh, it'd be kind of, you know, we wanted to have people over. And then it was like, well, how can you invite them but not them? And how about, you know, and then it was like, oh, let's just, let's just eat tacos with everyone. And so uh, ended up being a, a good, good plan by my wife and um, uh, who I'm so grateful for. So anyways, uh, with that said, um, let me jun jump into this. Um, you know, today I, it's coming up, you know, the hardest part of uh, preparing a sermon sometimes is the title. So I don't know if you ever look at the title and go, wow. You know, sometimes it, it takes a lot of thought because it's trying to sum up the sermon without giving it away. It's not a description, but it is, and hopefully it's catchy, but it's not too creative. And um, so it, it's kind of the last thing after it's all done, right? It's the, the process of preparing a sermon, and then you come up with a title at the end. And uh, this is the best I could come up with, right? The humble brag uh, prayer that is, we see here in this parable. This is kind of a modern term, right? Uh, the humble brag. I, I read somewhere about the person who came up with this uh, phrase and so on. Uh, the humble brag. And we see it more often because of social media and because people now all have a voice. And there was a, a study done uh, by some researchers at Harvard and University of North Carolina. They did a study about humble bragging. And it was in Time Magazine in an article that uh, came out not that long ago. They surveyed 646 people and they asked them, have you read or heard someone who was humble bragging recently? And over 70% said, oh yeah, just recently, right? Just like not that long ago. Um, and they could tell you who and what it was. Um, and uh, the researchers came down to two categories that people often humble brag in. And, you know, don't feel like self-conscious. We all probably do it. I've probably done it, all right, because we're all human. Uh, we're not witty enough to come up with something all the time. Uh, but um, like the two categories that uh, bragging is masked by is number one is a, is a kind of a compliment, um, or rather a complaint. They kind of sound like they're complaining about something, but they're kind of indirectly bragging. And they're one of the examples that they gave this lady wrote, I hate that I look so young. Even a 19-year-old hit on me today. Jeez, right? Wow. Um, and the, the second one is the false humility one, right? The false humility and the example that I came across was, um, uh, was on Twitter, and some author came, and she walks into a bookstore, and this is what she writes. She goes, when you walk into a bookstore and your face is everywhere and you look a lot better in the pic than you do right now, hashtag ha ha, 
right? That's what she wrote. Haha. <laughs> and so it's, it's out there, and we do it. We all do it. Um, and we see this, but this isn't something that came up with social media or Twitter. This came up, uh, this has been around since the history of man. And we see this in this parable today. And today we're going to be looking at this topic of pride and humility. Uh, pride, the one sin that keeps people from God. The sin that keeps people from entering into heaven. Pride. Uh, humility. The only way we should approach God. And we're going to be looking at those two things today. All right, In order to approach God well, in order to pray well, in order to pray correctly, we have to come humbly. Uh, here, just a little background before we jump into this uh, description of the prideful person. Uh, Jesus here contrasts, again, two people on the far end of the uh, spectrum, right? Uh, on the so Remember last week, on the social spectrum, it was the widow and the judge. Um, the social influence scale, if you would say. The judge who could dictate whatever the law would be and set people free versus the widow. Uh, the widow who had no power, no influence. And today, he continues this kind of side-by-side -side contrast where he now talks about uh, on a spiritual scale from human perspective. And uh, it's the Pharisee versus the tax collector. And really, if you were to put him on some kind of a, a scale, it would be the Pharisee and it would be the tax collector. The Pharisee was looked upon by many as those who um, and you go to certain countries today in Asia, you'll see uh, Buddhist monks, they walk around and, uh, in their garb, and after a certain time, they'll go around, they'll even have to uh, wait for handouts, because they're not allowed to go and beg or work, and they would pray and do their thing. And so society would look at that and say, oh, wow, they're high on the religious scale. Right? These people, the way they dress, they even shave their head, and they do these things. And that's how the Pharisees were looked upon. Because they would say these eloquent prayers, and they would talk about all the laws that they are keeping and that they're doing. And you, you know, we've been going through Luke for a long time now, but you see so many times Jesus, Jesus is against this. Why does he always pick it on the Pharisees? It's because ultimately of their pride. And on the other end of the spectrum is now the tax collector. And we've talked about tax collectors often here uh, many times before, but the tax collector, the one who would go and sell out his own people, uh, collect taxes as much as they want, skim off of that for themselves, and send it over to Rome. And so they're looked upon as a, a thief. They're looked upon as a traitor. And so they were the scum of the earth. How can you take from me? And you're going to take, ask for 30%, 40% of my income. You're going to keep 20% yourself. You're only going to report so much. And so you could imagine everyone looked upon them in this way. So when Jesus tells this parable, uh, it is the two far extremes entering into a temple to pray. And when you first hear this, you would think, well, the Pharisee is going to have to teach uh, the tax collector how to pray. The Pharisee belongs in the house of prayer. What's a tax collector doing there? And so these are the natural responses that uh, the listeners would hear, and Jesus tells us. And you can imagine those in the crowd, they, oh, Pharisees. Probably real Pharisees were there. And they're gathering around as Jesus is telling this parable, and they're gathering around saying, oh, I wonder if he's going to talk about me. I wonder if he's going to talk about someone I know. I wonder what story this is. And it intrigues everyone, and they draw near. Will the tax collector get rebuked? Will he get kicked out? Uh, will he say something dumb, silly, sinful? 
And they're coming to hear, and he throws them a curveball. And this is not what they were expecting to hear. He talks about their pride. Pride is a sin, right? And, and there's been so much written about it. Uh, so much. I, I just want to uh, share a quote. It's a little bit longer. It's from C.S. Lewis. He says this, um, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And I know I've quoted this before because it is so uh, well said, as C.S. Lewis, only he could say. It's a vice no one is free of, and yet everyone in the world loads it when they see it, right? We all loathe it. We hate it when we see it. We love it when the quiet guy in the boxing match knocks out the guy who talks so much. We love the underdog because the one that is now proud, we love seeing them come crumbling down. We love seeing it even in our own worlds, in the workplace and at school and so on and so forth. Uh, we're against it, but yet we're all guilty of it. Uh, we see here uh, these characteristics of the proud. Uh, and I want to highlight these three for us, right? And I want us to measure ourselves. I want us to humbly check ourselves again and be reminded because we all need, so, need to so much. Uh, the first characteristic here of the proud is, number one, the proud trust in themselves. They trust in themselves. When any problem comes, uh, comes about, they say, well, how should I fix this? How can I do this? These are my plans. This is what I'm going to do. I'm smarter than everyone else. I'm wiser than everyone else. I'm capable. I'm, I'm cuter than everyone else. I can do this. And the first thing that we see is that the proud trust in themselves. Right? In verse 9, as he, the, uh, Luke is describing the parable he's going to tell, he tells us the background. He says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous. He trusted in themselves. That they were righteous. They thought they were righteous. All of a sudden we see here that um, being self-righteous is worse even than being unrighteous. Because all of us are unrighteous. But it's when we become self-righteous that we become now uh, unacceptable to even God. They trust in themselves. It's a, trust here is a, is a big word. It's a significant word. It's a strong verb, as one commentator says. It means confidence, reliance, and hope. They think, I can trust in myself. I am so good, I could trust in myself. Uh, Daryl Bach, in his commentary, talks about that word trust. He says, even the tense which is, uh, it gets very technical, but it's in the perfect participle. And he says, basically indicates a residing confidence that never wanes. They're always confident. They're always trusting in themselves. doesn't matter what comes about. They think they can handle it and do it. It is in Proverbs 28, 26. It says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Day to day, we become reminded of that. This past year, I've been dealing with this uh, 
frozen shoulder condition, right? Some of you know, and, uh, and a lot of you ask, how's it going, how's it going? Can you throw a ball? Can you swing a golf club? And can you do chores at home? I, I, could, do chore, I could do the dishes. I just can't do uh, other things, right? Uh, but it started sometime like last uh, uh, spring, and it's like, oh, it's kind of weird. And then my back would hurt, and it would go away, and, and gradually it kind of limits my motion, right? This is actually pretty good. It was like just like this. Anyways, uh, the first thing I did, and I'm sure a lot of us did, is I went on online, went and looked at all the possibilities of how to fix it myself, and uh, watched about a dozen YouTube videos, everyone showing different stretches, and okay, okay I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. Couldn't fix it. Eventually, I said, I got, I'm so sick of this. I went to the doctor, and uh, the doctor said, oh, it's a simple fix, and knocked me out, and he adjusted it. I even watched that on YouTube. I said, oh, that doesn't look fun. And uh, he knocks you out and takes five minutes and fixes my shoulder. So I'm doing rehab now. It feels much better. Even going to the therapist, I, I was like thinking, do I need to go to the therapist? I had a discussion with Sharon this past week. I said, I really don't want to go to the therapist. Um, you because know, first of all, like, I feel like I have to take a shower before I go see the therapist. I don't want to be all dirty. You know, it's like brushing your teeth before you go to get your teeth cleaned at the dentist, right? We all do that. If you don't, you should, right? Um, and, uh, and Sharon's like, you should go. Uh, it's good for you, you should go, right? And then the uh, little lady there, she stretches my shoulder and arm and almost brings me to a tear, and then it always feels better. Because when I try my, on my own, how far can I stretch this? What do I know? Uh, the proud rely on themselves, and our pride kicks in daily. And so we have to be also very careful of this. Especially where we live and what we do, um, what we have, whatever education we have, whatever money we have, whatever retirement plan that's all set out, whatever pension that's out there, uh, whatever the cost of your house, however much it went up. And it's so easy to rely on all those things and all of my background and all of my education and say, oh, well, this is how things are going to be. It's going to be fine. Uh, but we don't want to be a fool. The fool trusts in his own mind. And so we have to come before God in this way. The proud, secondly, they look down on others. Uh, that's the second thing. The proud love uh, to compare. The proud love to go and measure up because they're going to stick out a little bit more than their neighbor and their friend. It says here in the second part of verse 9, um, they trusted themselves they were, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. They treated others with contempt that little phrase, it means to despise someone because you think they're worthless or of no value. It's not because they did something against you. It's not because they hurt you or harmed you. You just look down on them. You treat them with contempt simply because not knowing anything about them, you assume that they are of less value. And we have to catch ourselves often, right, when we speak about someone who's in a less fortunate situation. And the human side, the flesh side, the anti-gospel side in us kicks in all the time. And we think, oh, it's because they didn't do it like this. Oh, because they should have worked harder like this. They should have gone to school and they should have finished. Boy, that's why they're working or they're not working. And we even speak of people. Right, to our children, and oh, if you don't do this, you might end up like that person. And that should be 
out of our vocabulary and thoughts as a people of God, as people who are nothing. And we believe we are from the dirt. And all that we have is from God. Uh, it's interesting, right? In Luke 23, Herod treats Jesus with contempt. The same idea. He didn't value Jesus. And he sends him away to be crucified. There's a story, uh, kind of a funny story, about a salesman who would go door to door and he uh, made the most sales in the whole company. And so everyone was curious. And the people in the company, they were curious. They said, how did you do this? How did you sell this so much? How did you sell so much? And he told his boss his secret. He said every time he'd go to the front door and a man would open the door, he would tell him, let me show you something that some of your neighbors said that you, you, wouldn't, you couldn't afford. But let me just show it to you anyways. And their pride would kick in and they would end up buying it. You know, whatever it is. It's interesting because in the very next section, and we didn't read it, but right, that's the famous section when Jesus tells them, let the children come to me. Right, the disciples and the adults are saying, you know, get out of here. Kids, get out of here. And he said, no, let them come. Um, you think about that. How freely children approach. How they're not sizing each other up and comparing one. And the word children that's used there, uh, it's describing like a toddler age. Age two, age three. Right? They're not afraid to interrupt. They don't know when it is. And they'll just come. Um, in the years of church and, and uh, you know, doing service, right? It's always like irks me when an adult interrupts or does something or their phone goes off. But when a child comes, right? And I love it because like uh, uh, Chris's son, right? Jonah, he'll just walk right up and you see mom is chasing him and, you know, and the different guys up here. It's that age. And Jesus is saying, come on up. Let them come. And it's a picture of someone who isn't proud who isn't coming to Jesus to impress him, but they just want to come. Right? Uh, thirdly is the proud, they lack gratitude. They may say thank you, but they might say it in order to save face for themselves. I have to write this thank you card. They might look down on me, so I'm going to do it out of formality. I'm going to reply to this email in a cordial way and thank them, even though maybe I don't need it and I didn't need this gift or favor from them. They lack gratitude. The, the story goes... Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. Prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. He starts by saying the right thing, the right formula. God, I thank you. And usually when we say thank you, we want to now start by saying what we're thankful for. But this is just mere words and he has no meaning behind it. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector in the back. This isn't gratitude. This is him now showing off to God. This is him reporting himself to God. This is him telling God how worthy he is to God. And he gives his description, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. Fasting and giving and praying, these things that should be done in secret in the way of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Go into your closet and pray. Don't have a look on your face where people would ask you, did you fast? Fast on your own. I thank you. These are just empty words that he says. And you look at verse 11 and 12. He uses the word I. 
He speaks about himself in two short verses five times. God, I thank you. I, I, I did this. I did this. I did this. I'm not like them. I'm not, not like the tax collector. I fast. I do this. And it all of a sudden becomes about himself. Uh, one of the uh, partners that we uh, go and serve alongside of the serve the people, right? and uh, especially pre-COVID and uh, during Be Generous, we try to give to them and go in person. We've gone a, a countless amount of times. And the, the person that found it uh, served the people, uh, Dmitry Surikov. Um, he's actually a physician. And he's been to our church and shared his testimony uh, several years back. Um, uh, he's a very impressive person. And first of all, it impressed me. Oh, wow, he's a doctor. I didn't know he was a doctor. I just thought he was a nice guy, a nice Christian that wanted to help uh, the poor people. A lot of you have been there. Um, and before COVID, it was like four or 500 people would come through, get clothes and food. And uh, they'd have volunteers lined up every other Saturday. And we would often take part in that, as many of you would. Uh, but one thing that Dimitri does, every time he sees me, he thanks me, he gives me a hug. He's like six, three or four, he gives me a hug. He goes, oh, pastor, you're here. Treats me like I'm someone very important. And then he, I remember the, one of the first few times I went, and he, he hugged me, oh, pastor, you're here, so good to see you. And then he kind of uh, jokingly said to me, oh, it's good to see a pastor here. Other churches... Pastors just send their people, but they don't come. But man, you guys, Crossway, you, your pastors come. Well, thanks. Now there's like a lot of pressure, right? Like I, I, I can't just I go. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get up at five. You know, um, had a late Friday night. I gotta, I gotta go. Dimitri's gonna be there. Uh, I gotta make sure he sees me. What if he doesn't see me with a mask on and thinks I didn't show up? So I gotta go say hi to him. And but every time I go. Um, and he thanks me, oh, your people are wonderful, thank you, thank you. We thank you. Uh, the sign that someone is proud is they don't thank others because everything is about them, they earned it. It's all about survival of the fittest, I work the hardest, I deserve this, why should I give thanks to someone else? But for the Christian we say, everything I have is from God, so I'm grateful. Everything I get, I am grateful. Uh, and so we thank God in this. So the proud, they lack gratitude. They look down on others. They trust in themselves. And we need to approach God in humility. I mean, that's what I want to share with us today. Let me encourage you in your prayers. And last week we talked about prayers, right? Uh, thanking God for his love. Thanking God for asking him to sustain you, you know, in the middle of the day and the evening, saying, I trust you with this. I want to continue, you to continue saying these prayers daily. But make sure it is filled and that you don't become, that we don't become like the Pharisee and just report to God. God, I forgave him today. God, I got a lot done. I closed the deal today, God. God, I took care of this today. In the midst of it, let's make sure all of our prayers are humble. Let's come before God and say, God, Thank you. So again, Jesus uses the weak to teach the strong because the audience were all a bunch of people. They were the high achievers. They were the ones that well-to-do, they were respected, and they're all sitting around. And when Jesus tells the story, it comes out in the way that they did not want to hear. And the second part of it is uh, he talks about the tax collector. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A short 
prayer. And it's interesting, you could just look at even their posture. He's standing far off. Where else, in, um, uh, when it's described about uh, the Pharisee, he's standing by himself. What does that mean? That means he stood away from everyone. He wanted to stand out. He wanted to be somewhere where it was obvious he was there. And maybe he stood in the middle, maybe he stood in the front. Whereas the tax collector stood far off. He stood in the back. He stood in the shadow. He didn't want to be seen. He was saying a prayer that he was so ashamed of. Can you imagine the guilt that he must have carried as a tax collector? My aunt, my uncle, they all hate me. They call me traitors. My, my friends growing up, they hate me. And now I have this money that I've taken from my friends and family. What do I do? God, why did I do this? And he comes with all this regret and he comes and he prays to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He describes himself in this way. Now let's quote Max Lucado says that pride stiffens the knee so it will not kneel. Hardens the heart so it will not admit to sin. Pride stiffens the knee so it will not kneel. He prays for mercy. Be merciful to me. Uh, the commentators talk about the significance of that word. That word in the original language when they translate the a comparable word in the Hebrew, that word gets complicated, but basically the background of the word assumes that the petitioner cannot earn forgiveness. So it wasn't like, God, I'm going to promise you something. I'll give something to you. Can I barter this back and forth? When you say, be merciful to me, it is saying, the petitioner is saying, I have nothing. I cannot do anything. And sometimes as children, we play uh, mercy, right? You squeeze each other's hand till someone, the older person, usually twists your hand. You say, mercy, say mercy, or say uncle, or we do dumb games like that. But it's in the position of saying, I can't earn anything. God, I'm not going to pay you back. I have nothing to pay you back with. I am a mere sinner. Be merciful to me. And he prays in this way. And that is the, the basic uh, foundation of the gospel. We as a gospel-centered church, we go back to the gospel, and it puts us back in our place. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century uh, English Anglican pastor, he talks about the tax collector. He says the uh, publican or the tax collector confessed plainly that he was a sinner. This is the very, and I love this, this is the very ABC of saving Christianity. We never begin to be good till we can feel and say that we are bad. This is the ABCs of the gospel. This is the ABCs of Christianity. And the world out there might think of Christianity and the church as people who are self-righteous. They judge others. They're judgmental. They have too many rules. But really, this is the foundation. That all have fallen short of the glory of God. That we have the problem of sin and we come to God saying, I can offer nothing to you, God. Be merciful to me. And the response is this, verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You can imagine the shocked faces of the crowd saying, what? He went home justified? Hey, what kind of religion is this? What kind of God is this? I thought you had to earn your way. I thought you had to go and prove yourself to God. What is this? And this is called the gospel. This is grace. He justified himself. Uh, God justified him. 
The word justified, to be declared righteous. It was a legal term. It would be used by the judge when a judge would declare someone righteous. And they would walk out of that place and they owe nothing to no one. They're declared righteous. And God looks at you and me and says, I declare you righteous. You say, but you know my sins, God. You know my hypocrisy. You know my shortcomings. I declare you righteous because of what? Christ has done. And so it is the humble person who becomes stronger. I close with this quote from uh, Plantinga, Cornelius Plantinga, who says, a humble person is more likely to be self-confident. A person with real humility knows how much they are loved. So we think it is the person who is brash and rich and powerful that is confident. No, it's actually the humble. And so we come to God in this way. I want to encourage us here today to approach God humbly, to know that we are nothing without him. And sometimes our own minds and our own flesh will now talk you into. The devil will be sitting on your shoulder telling you, you're the man. Look at them. You're better than them. Look at his life. Look at how well you're doing. And so you earned it. And you're going to be easily convinced. And it is at times like that we say, be merciful to me, O Lord. I trust in you. Let's pray together and we'll sing and close our service. Lord, we thank you. Um, we trust in you, Lord. How foolish we are with our words, Lord, that we often have come to you trying to impress you. Uh, but Lord, uh, we come to you with nothing. And so, Lord, we ask your uh, blessing upon us as we come to you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.